Lord God, we come before you today. You are worthy, Father. You are worthy. You are worthy, Father. Oh, hallelujah. Aren't you glad that God takes us just as you are? Just as you are. All of our brokenness, all of our issues, all of our problems, God always shows up right on time. Just, and takes us just as we are. No pretense, no apprehension. Man, that is so good. Y'all give our worship team a hand. God is so, so good. What's up, Transformation Church? Y'all alive? All right, all right, all right. It is awesome. Y'all, y'all go ahead and take your seats. Before you sit down, go ahead and tell somebody he's here. And tell the other person you ain't got to fake it. All right. My name is Drew Carson. I'm one of the pastors here at this world-changing, destiny-shaping church that we call Transformation Church. As you can tell by the backdrop, we had kids blast the last three days. Y'all give it up for our TC Kids team. Everybody, y'all see with the tie-dye shirts on? Yeah, tie-dye is back. We're bringing it back. That is our awesome team. Over 200 total kids uh, learned learned about honor learned about community, and learned that the catalyst for honor and community is Jesus. They learned about that over the last three days. And last week, we had our student takeover, Transformation Youth. Where y'all at? I see a few y'all up here. Transformation Youth. We are a next-gen church. We believe in the next generation. God is using the youth of our nation to change the world. And we had five amazing communicators, amazing speakers up here last week. And I feel like there's a little pressure on me this week because I better bring it or they're coming to take my job. So I'm going to do my best this week. My, my role at, at Transformation Church is I'm the executive pastor. I'm Pastor Jamie's right-hand man, and I like to say I live at the intersection of vision and reality. And I, I do my best. The, the vision that God has given him, I try to build the systems and the teams to go with it. So as a good systems guy would do, when Pastor Jamie came to me and asked me to preach, as a good systems guy would do, I said, that ain't in my job description, and, and you didn't hire me for that, but I'm going to do my best today as I try to bring a word, because I'm glad that there's leaders in my life, Pastor Jamie's one of the key leaders in my life that pushes me into what God has for me, and, it's, and we need leaders in our lives, and, and, and see, God is a leader like that, and we're going to get into the story of Gideon, I love, the, I love leadership, and I love the story of Gideon, because God always calls people into their destiny. And that's what, that's what he did for Gideon. But before we go there, I want one more big announcement. We have July 13th, we have a big serve day. Where we're going to go. Yeah, that's right. That's right. The hands and feet of Jesus. We're going to go all over Knoxville. And we got a bunch of different projects we're working on. You can find out more about that. Anybody that's got a lanyard, you can go out to our connection desk. They can point you in the right direction. You can go on our website. Or you can email tr- uh, info at transformationchurch.us to find out more. Big serve day, July 13th. Don't miss it. Then we're going to do a big baptism on July 14th. Coming back after that couple big things. Y'all ready to get into the word today? Yes. All right. Turn with me in your Bible or your device to uh, Judges 6. It'll also, be, it'll also be up on the screen when I read it. We're going to get in Judges, Judges 6 and look at the story of Gideon. But before we go there, I need to give you some context to the story of Gideon. See, God had freed the Israelites from Egyptian slavery. They were in Egypt for 400 years under the oppression of the Egyptians. The Israelites were un, in that physical slavery for 400 years. 
And God leads them out of slavery. He leads them into the wilderness. And they were stuck in the wilderness for 40 years because God was helping them get out of their mental slavery. And God was showing them who he was. And he gave them one thing. It was only one thing God really, really wanted them to, to do. And that was, he, he said, thou shalt have no other gods before me. But the key part of that was basically what he was telling them is focus on me. Focus on me. That's what God was telling them. But just like all of us do, the Israelites got into the promised land and they forgot what, what got them there. They forgot about God and they forgot how he had led them there. So let's jump in. Judges 6, verses 1 through 16. I'm going to read a lot of word today. So if I don't do too well or this ain't that good, at least you got the word and you can go out and share that with somebody. All right, here we go. All right. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in mountains, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying the cops crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. You ever feel like that? You ever feel like anytime you make a little progress, you, you, you move forward a little bit, that something comes in and snatches that away? That's kind of what the Israelites were feeling like that. And these enemies, they came in with, with all their livestock and their tents, and they were as thick as locusts, and they arrived on droves of camels, too numerous to count. And they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israelite was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. Y'all, sometimes you just got to cry out to God and say, God, I need you to help me out of this. I need you right now. And that's what the Israelites did. They cried out to God, and, and the Lord sent a prophet uh, to them to give them a word. So this is God speaking through the prophet. He said, I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and gave you their land. I told you, I am the Lord your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live. But you have not listened to me. See, God reminded them what he had already brought them through. Sometimes we need to take a moment and remember what God has already brought us through. Come on, some of y'all out there thankful to be alive still? Yeah. Amen. I am. Yeah, amen. Amen. I am proof that God exists. Because I should have been dead multiple times. So if anybody ever asks you, does God exist? I say, yeah, just look at me. I'm still here. So we got to remember those times. And then the angel of the Lord. And anytime, this is key, anytime the Bible talks about, uses this phrase, the angel of the Lord, what that is, is that is a Old Testament representation of Jesus. That's kind of when Jesus shows up in the Old Testament because Jesus is eternal. So that's an Old Testament representation of Jesus. And, and the angel of the Lord in Jesus came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophir, which belonged to Joash, the clan of Abiezar. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Sir, Gideon replied, the Lord is with us. Why has all this happened to us? And where are the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. My sermon title for today is picked last. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word that, that we're about to receive. Lord God, the word that you gave me, help it to be all of you, none of me. Let your word flow through me right now. Holy Spirit, open hearts, open minds, and help people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. 
So y'all remember when y'all were in elementary or maybe middle school, you had to choose teams for something. Maybe it was kickball or dodgeball, which I just spoke to some teachers recently, and they told me it was no longer called dodgeball. It's called avoidance ball, which is... (laughs) which is kind of crazy. They call it avoidance ball now. So anytime you had to pick teams, you were hoping that the gym teacher would pick you to be a captain. Because if you're a captain, you didn't have to worry about being in the group of people. Nobody wanted to be in the group of people getting picked because those, those, when, when, you were, when people were getting picked, it was kind of like a popularity contest. It was kind of like, you know, a popularity contest. Maybe they'd pick up a couple athletes, and there was always those moments where it was like, I got you, and hey, you feel real good, you walk out. Or, or there's the awkward moments where the guy's like, I got you over there, and the guy steps out, and he's like, yeah, that's me. And he's like, no, 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 no not you, the dude behind you. <laughs> and there's always those moments, but you just didn't want to be the last two. And you really, really, really didn't want to be the last one because, see, if you were the last one, you didn't really get picked anyway. It was kind of like... Yeah, we'll, we'll take them. Come on. You're with us. So, and, and if you're that person, if you were ever that person, it felt like, you know, you weren't good enough. You didn't have what it took. You were embarrassed and all this stuff. And that's, that's, but I want to tell you today that God picks the people that we would choose last. God picks the people that the world would never choose and that's what, that's what Gideon was. See, Gideon is a kid who feels like he should have been picked last. See, Gideon's in the wine press. And let me tell you a little bit about threshing wheat. When you're threshing wheat, you're supposed to be out in a field. You're supposed to be out in a field, and what you would do is you would scoop the wheat up, throw it into the air, and then the wheat would separate. The grains of wheat would fall down to the ground. The chaff would blow the other way, and you would do it in an open space, kind of like this. You do it in an open space. Look at all that space he's got. He's throwing it up in the air, and the the chaff is falling back to the ground. But see, Gideon, when God found him, was in a wine press. He was in a wine press, much like this. So think about that. You're scooping wheat to throw it up in the air. There's no wind in the wine press. You're just kind of, and how are you going to scoop and throw stuff up in the air? You ain't got any space. So he's in that pit. He's down in the pit of the wine press, and he's hiding. He's hiding because fear has put him in the pit. And some of you here today are feeling like that. Some of you here today are feeling unqualified. You're feeling like you can't do it. You don't have what it takes. You're feeling like, did God call me to do this? Am I supposed to be here? Like, why am I even here? Why am I even alive? You feel like, you know, you, you want to try to get promoted in life, but you feel like you're in a pit and you can't get promoted from the pit. And I'm here to tell you today that this is who God picks. You are who God picks. This is who God selects. This is who he wants to use. Yeah. See, the world that we live in is very superficial. And see, we need more supernatural. Here's the thing, though. Sometimes supernatural is simply not doing what comes natural. So when you get scared, when you get scared, you want to run sometimes. And you know you need to stay and fight. When, someone comes, when something comes against you, you freeze, and you don't know what to do, and you, you feel like you should go and hide. But that's not what we should do. See, because in a culture of superficial, authentic and authenticity is supernatural. Everybody's hiding today. Social media, everybody's hiding behind their social media. And you, I, I'm not going to beat up social media. I believe Jesus would have had an Instagram account. I believe Jesus would have had a billion followers and he would have been following zero. And, but I believe Jesus would have used social media for good to spread the message. See, Jesus would have leveraged whatever he could 
to spread the message and spread good. But a lot of times, social media is simply spread to, simply used to spread people's egos. And you see all the highlights of people's lives and all the awesome stuff in people's lives. And you're looking on social media and you're going, man, my life must suck. You're saying, man, I, don't, I didn't get a new car. I didn't move into a new house. You know, my kids ain't superstars on the field. And, and you feel like you get, you get beat down. You feel like the least. You feel, you feel afraid. You feel least impressive. Let's get real about the pits that we face in life. See, Gideon was in a pit. I'm going to share with you how I felt one time when I was in a pit. It was August 2nd, 1995. I was 18 years old, and I was full of being whatever an 18-year-old was. 18-year-old, thought I was invincible, thought I was immortal, and I, and I was going into the Air Force. And I'm 1995, August 2nd, I get off of a bus in San Antonio, Texas, in Lackland Air Force Base. And I get off the bus, I'm ready to go to, some people call it boot camp, I'm in, we call it basic training. And you get off of the bus, and it's, it's crazy because these TIs, they call them training instructors, they're drill sergeants, they kind of come running at you, and they're not running at you to, to greet you and meet you and pat you on the back and say, welcome to San Antonio, Texas. They're saying a lot of mean things to you, and, and they're in your face, much like this picture up there, and, and they're always, they're in your face, and they do these crazy, these crazy games because you get off the bus and you have bags when you get off the bus. You have a bag in each hand. And they do these things that you're supposed to stand on these two little footprints. And everybody's standing on two little footprints. Everybody's standing, they say, at the position of attention. So you're standing here like this. And they tell you, pick the bags up. Put them down. Pick them up. Put them down. Pick them up. Put them down. Pick them up. And I'm, and I'm a logical guy. I'm a logical guy. And I'm doing this. And I might have said this maybe under my breath. I don't know if I said it too loud or not. But I was like, this is stupid. You, you want me to take the bag somewhere? You want to pick it up and put it down? What are we doing? And, 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 and yeah, that's kind of what it ended up like is, is right there. <laughs> Except there were three of them. One on each side of my head and one in my face. And they were not telling me how much they love me. Um, and see, I'm kind of a germaphobe. And see, they were right there and they're yelling. And when people yell right in your face, what happens? Spit. And I could feel all the little spit hitting my face. And, and then... I, I felt the spit hit my lip, and I was like, and you can't move. And I felt like, what have I done with my life? What was I thinking? Why am I here? And the thing about that is that was a Wednesday, and then Sunday comes up. So Sunday, four days from, from that first Wednesday, I'm kind of excited. The drill instructors had left. They had walked out, and I'm kind of excited, and I had a friend that I had enlisted with, and, and I look at him. We're in our barracks, and I look at him, and I say, hey, man, one week down, seven to go. He goes, oh, no, bro. This is zero week. And I said, wait, what does that mean? And he goes, these first four days don't even count. It actually starts tomorrow. <laughs> and at that moment is one of the times that I cried for my mama. I said... <laughs> I said, I got to get out of here. I, I'm going to go. I'll go. I don't know. If I got to work at McDonald's for the rest of my life, I'll, I'll do that. You know, I don't care. Uh, but I would go on to serve a 20-year career when I got out of the pit, and I would have the opportunity to help other young airmen, soldiers, and sailors get out of some of the pits that they face in life as I taught leadership and different team stuff and to a lot of the warriors that are right now fighting battles on the front lines in places like Afghanistan and, and Iraq and Syria, and I had that opportunity to do that. But see, I never would have made it there if I would have stayed in the pit. And some of you are in the pit 
right now. And some of you feel like this is week zero. And I'm here to tell you that God is not finished with you yet. God is the one that's going to help you out of that pit. God is, is going to be the one to help you step into your destiny. And, but you got to, before you get out of the pit, see, you got to learn to fight. And I'm going to tell you about three battles that you're going to face, these same three battles that Gideon faced when he was trying to get out of the pit. And the first battle that you're going to face is the blame battle. So look at verse 13. Sir, Gideon said, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord has brought us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites? Doesn't that sound just like us? I can't believe that person's so mean to me. My boss never puts me in the right situation to get promoted. My boss doesn't care about my development. My family doesn't care about me. We're all blaming all this other stuff in our life. Sometimes parents are saying, if my kids would just listen to me, our family would be better. And the kids, the kids are saying, if my parents would just understand me, they would know what it's like to be a kid in 2019. And we're blaming each other and back and forth. Or maybe some of you said, hey, I don't, I don't get this at all because I go to church twice a month. Twice a month. I show up at church twice a month. And you know what? I even tithe. I put a five spot in the box on the way out the door. God, why aren't you paying attention to me? And, and my, but my neighbors down the street, they're partying and hanging out, and, and they just got a brand new car, God, and you're making me drive the same hoopty I've been driving for five years. Why don't you pay attention to me, God? Do you even care about me? Why am I even here? See, we all do that. Who are you blaming? What past situation or old memory is holding you back? See, some of us are holding on to why we can't instead of pressing forward to why God tells us that we can. We all do this. We all do this. We all blame. Because blame is a way that we discharge pain, discomfort, or responsibility. It's easy to blame somebody when we can discharge pain, discomfort, or responsibility. I have this, we have this guilty pleasure in our house that... Um, we like to do as a family, and what we do is we like to watch YouTube fails on, the, on our TV in the living room. And we watch YouTube fails, and it's called, it's called Fail Army. No, it's not called Fail Air Force. Where's my Army brothers out, out there? I love y'all. still love y'all. Hey, but we watched that as a family, and the other night we probably watched it a little too long. And I was kind of frustrated because I try to stay with a schedule, and, and we're sitting there, and, and, and the kids are saying, hey, let's watch one more. And, and, and my beautiful wife, Sabrina, is saying, let's watch one more, and I'm kind of getting frustrated. And... I'm getting angry, and finally we turn it off, and we go upstairs, and right when we get to the bedroom, I said, see, this is your fault. I said, this is your fault. I told you we should have went upstairs about an hour ago, and you want to watch another video. And you know what? You know what else? You know what else? We ate out again tonight before we got home, and I told you you should have cooked. Why didn't you cook? Why didn't you cook? And this is your fault. We're trying to eat healthy, and we're eating out every night. And you know, Jada, our daughter, can you believe she made cupcakes? She made cupcakes, and I want to support my daughter, so I got to eat a cupcake. And I went in this vicious cycle of blame, and I'm blaming everybody. And I just stopped, and I said, what are you doing? What are you doing? See, we all do it. We all play the blame game. The blame game is a distraction from the real battle. See, we're too busy blaming each other. We're blaming each other for who said what or who did what or who said this on social media, or who voted this way, who voted that way. And we're sitting there blaming each other when we're supposed to be the hands and feet of Jesus serving out in the streets. As the church, 
We're too busy blaming each other. And Jesus is telling us, hey, y'all, I climbed up on a tree 2,000 years ago and said, blame me. I have defeated it. See, we're supposed to be the answer, but we're too busy being divisive. We need to be engaging culture. We need to be involved in culture. We need to be changing the world for Jesus. Two years ago, a girl walked through those doors. She was angry, and she was blaming God, and she was upset. Her family had just moved from Texas, and they moved to Tennessee, and she was mad because she had a life. She was in high school, and she had a life that she was going towards, and she had college plans, and she had things that she wanted to do, and then her parents, they felt like she uprooted them and took them to Tennessee, and, and she knew that she needed to get in church. So she came through those church doors, and she got engaged, she got involved in church, and she, she started serving. But here was the problem. See, she couldn't come to church every week because their parents only had one vehicle. They only had one vehicle, and, and uh, she had to get dropped off at it because her parents' schedule didn't match up with hers. So she would get dropped off at 7 o'clock in the morning and sit out in the parking lot until somebody opened the church doors because she knew she needed to get in a life-giving environment and she stopped blaming God and she started trusting God and she started serving God and because we serve a generous God and we are we're in a generous church this is what we were able to do for this young lady check out this video this is your car legit like your car no get your personalized license plate call this car no you're kidding no Oh my god! I don't. I'm in camera and I don't know what to do. I am. Say like, something. What do you say? Something. I'm literally so grateful. Like I, I did not expect this whatsoever. And what? See, y'all. This is what being the church is about. She stopped blaming and she started trusting. And now she takes that car and picks up other people and brings them to church. And she's being the church. See, but that ain't the end of the story. See, she has this little brother. And she kept trying to talk him into coming to church. And he didn't want to come to church. He was mad at God, too. He had left all his friends in Texas and his football team. Texas football. Come on, somebody. Texas football. Yeah, I'm an OU fan, but I can still say that. I love y'all. Look, so he's a, he's a Texas football player, and he's uprooted. Now, he's moved to Tennessee, and he's mad at the world, and he doesn't want to come to church. And I remember the first time that Claudia had actually talked him into coming to church. I remember he was sitting right there in that seat right beside Claudia, and he was shy. He was quiet. He didn't really talk to anybody, and he was kind of reserved, and he was to himself. And I find out a couple weeks later... He makes a fresh start with God. He raised his hand. And then three weeks after that, I had the honor and privilege right here in this where we put a baptismal tank. I had the honor and privilege to baptize this young man. And then at our student takeover last week, I want to show you a video of this young man and his sister on. He's the one in the blue hoodie. He don't look too shy no more, does he? They stopped blaming, started trusting God. Oh, there are plenty of things we could be angry about, plenty of places we could hide. We got to stop blaming and start serving. Now that we know how to fight the blame battle, the next battle that you're going to face is called the doubt battle. Let's look at verse 15 in the doubt battle. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. See, he was the weakest. He was the smallest. He was the, the most. He felt like he was the most unqualified. He was doubting what God had called him into, and, and he felt like he couldn't do it, and he wanted to give up. Have y'all ever felt like that? 
He started doubting. Here, here's, the, here's the issue. When you start doubting like that, that's when the enemy comes in. And he starts whispering stuff in your ear. He starts whispering stuff in your ear, and he, he tries to make you doubt even more. And I felt that way June 2nd, less than a month ago. I was sitting on the front row, and Pastor Jamie had asked me for that week to go up and introduce a video because he was closing out a sermon series, and we had got him on video. And all I had to do was go up and introduce a video. Now, I've spoken in front of people before in the military, and I've never preached before, but I've spoken in front of people before, and, and, and I was a little bit nervous, and, and I felt a little bit of nervousness, and we were in worship. And see, I wasn't focusing in worship. I was focusing on what I wasn't, and I was allowing the enemy to whisper in my ear. And, and here's some of the stuff that he told me. He said, you ain't good enough. You can't do this. You ain't no pastor. You're a military guy. You shouldn't even be here. You don't belong here. You don't deserve to be here. You're a nobody. And I started, th- and I'm sitting in, those, in, that, in that spot I was in. I'm like, what is going on? You're unqualified. I heard that one. And, and, and I'm hearing these things. And then here, here's, how, here's how anxiousness and anxiety works. Some of y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. Then my arms started hurting a little bit. And I was like, what is wrong with my arm right now? And then my legs started hurting a little bit. And my knees felt like they were getting a little bit weak. And I thought I was having a heart attack. I thought something was wrong with me. And I'm sitting there. I got to go up on stage in, in two minutes. And I'm saying, something is wrong with me. And there was a moment, there was a, there was a moment where I felt myself. I was like, I gotta, I'm leaving. I'm walking out. I'm going to run. I'm going to run from the challenge. And right in that moment, see, because we serve an on-time God that always shows up right on time. And right in that moment, God said, stop, focus on me. And I said, wasn't me. He dropped that into my spirit. He said, focus on me. So I started focusing on the promises of God. And I started to say, in worship, and I started to raise my hands higher. And I started saying, God, you brought me here. You've anointed me to do this job. I am, I am ready. You have made me capable. I have the tools. You called me here. And see, something crazy happened when I started focusing on God. I also looked, I opened my eyes, and I saw the worship team up here in the front pouring their hearts out in worship. And they were worshiping with everything they got. And I don't think y'all understand how hard that is. It's hard to get up in front of people every week and worship with all you got when some people in the room are like this. Some people are doing the little Frisbee worship every now and then. It's hard. But see, I learned about this thing in, in psychology. And it's called this, is, there's this thing in psychology called mirror neurons. And see, God's design is so awesome. God's design is so perfect. And they're called mirror neurons. And what mirror neurons do is they allow you to feel and, and see and, and really understand an experience that somebody's having. So that's why we, you've heard us say we're a front row culture. You've heard us say we're a wild church. We're a rowdy church. We like to raise our hands in worship. That's why we're saying that because what you don't see that's happening is Pastor Emery and the worship team is engaging with everybody that has their hands up and is giving them strength because you don't know what the worship team, they're fighting battles up here too. And they're seeing the front row and the front row seeing them and they got their hands raised in worship. And, 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 but it's not even for the people in the front row and the worship team. It's for the guy over there on the side of the room that's battling addiction right now. And he needs to come out of this battle and he needs to worship his way through it. Maybe it's for the girl over here on this side of the room fighting an identity crisis. This is what it's about. Because worship trumps your weaknesses. That's why we come in here and worship every Sunday. That's why we lift our hands. That's why we might jump around a little bit up here. I was excited seeing all these kids up here jumping around. That's what it's about. 
You know what else trumps your weaknesses? God's word trumps your weaknesses. Look at what God told Gideon in verse 12. He called him mighty warrior. The Lord is with you. Here's the thing with that, though. Our English language does not do that phrase justice. In the Hebrew, what is actually said, the Hebrew word for that is mightiest warrior. The baddest of the bad. SEAL Team 6 of warriors. Delta Force of warriors. If there was a song, the song would sound like bad, bad, Leroy Brown, baddest man in the whole... Uh-huh. Yeah. I'll see if y'all was paying attention. Y'all gonna have to repent up in here today. He's the baddest. And that's what y'all are. That's what God is telling us. He has prepared us. He has put something inside of you already. There are businesses inside of you. There's destiny inside of you. There's world change inside of you. God is telling you that today. A year and a half ago, a man walked through the doors of this church, not feeling like he had been picked last, but feeling like he had never even been picked at all. He was invited by his daughter-in-law and his son, and he comes in through those doors. His life was a wreck. He was spiritually bankrupt. He was a mess. He had just got his car repoed. He was in a job he hated, and he didn't know why he was here, and he actually started having thoughts of suicide. He started doubting life, doubting why God had even put him here. And he walked through those doors, and he said he saw joy, and he saw happiness, and he was in a life-giving environment, and it started to change his life. And he got around people that loved him, And he got around people that encouraged him. And let me tell you what God has done the last year since he gave it all to God and started winning the battle of doubt. He stopped doubting his future and he started letting God define his destiny. He stopped sulking and started serving. He allowed God to rebuild and restore him and check out what has happened since then. God started to show him who he was. He blessed him with a great job. This is David Hansen. He's serving over in our, in our kitchen area, and he makes breakfast for us every Sunday, all of our volunteer leaders, because he's a chef, and he's answering the call of God on his life. Y'all are like, wait a minute. Y'all serve breakfast? Yes, all our volunteer leaders eat an awesome breakfast prepared by David Hansen every Sunday. I, 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 ain't talking about, I ain't talking about no Pop-Tarts either. I'm talking about scrambled eggs, biscuits, and gravy. And this is, this is his future wife that God allowed him to meet and he just got blessed with a car that was better than the one they had he got repoed he started serving and he started answering the call on his life and he chose God he chose to let God define his destiny see some of y'all are going to walk out of here today and you're going to be encouraged and I want you to walk out of here encouraged and I want you to walk out feeling like you can step into your destiny because that is what God has called you to do And you're going to feel encouraged. And you're going to go, I'm ready to do this. And the first thing that's going to happen right when you walk out of those doors is something is going to come against you. There's going to be an attack that comes against you. The enemy is going to come against you quick. And see, we had this thing we used to do in the military. We used to say we would prepare a statement for anything that was going on. If there was something going on in the world, see, reporters and stuff would see us in uniform and would come up to us and try to get stuff out of us. And we had a prepared statement. And what we would do is we would give them the statement 
And then we would say, no more questions. And we would walk off. That's what some of y'all need to do today. Y'all need to have a statement prepared for when the devil comes to attack you. You need to get in the word of God and find a statement that you can use that will help you defend yourself against those attacks. I'll give you some of mine. I tell the devil, I have the mind of Christ. He tries to attack me in my mind. I tell him, I have the mind of Christ. I tell him, I tell him, um, I tell him, I take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ Jesus. And I tell him every day, I'm being transformed, devil, by the renewing of my mind. I'm not listening to you anymore. I'm not falling for your tricks. I have a statement prepared for you. Devil, guess what? No questions. No questions. No questions. We aren't going to give into the doubt battle anymore. And the third battle that you're going to face is the obedience battle. Verse 25. It says, that night the Lord said to Gideon, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old, pull down your father's altar to Baal, and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord had commanded him. But he did it at night because he was afraid. And the other members of his father's household and the people of the town, he's afraid of everybody. So see, y'all, he wasn't perfect. He wasn't perfect. He was still learning to walk in his calling. He was still afraid, but he was trusting God. He was afraid, but he was trusting God. You're going to have to do it afraid. You know, coming up here today wasn't easy, and I was a little bit afraid. God said, you're going to have to do it afraid. You're going to have to do things that are unpopular. You're going to have to tear some stuff down in your life. There's a cost to obedience. What is God asking you to tear down? What's he asking you to tear down? You think it's going to be easy to let that crowd of friends go? I had to leave friends behind because they weren't walking in the same direction that God was calling me to walk in. I had to let friends, I had to let them go. A wise man once said, you are the average of five of your closest friends. Who are you hanging out with? Y'all ever been to Spencer's Gifts in the mall? (laughs) No one wants to shake their head, but y'all been there. It's okay. It's okay. Sin, sin is like Spencer's gifts. Because ain't nothing godly in Spencer's gifts. Nothing. And see, that's what when I was a kid, I used to, while my mom wasn't paying attention, and she was shopping for clothes, so I'd say, Mama, I'm going to run over here to the arcade. I was going in Spencer's gifts. See, it's that store we used to sneak into as kids, but some of us are so sneaky into sin like we used to sneak into Spencer's gifts. Some of y'all need to let that, that website go. That pornography website, you know you shouldn't be on. You know you shouldn't let the devil whisper in your ear and say, it's okay, just one more time. You need to let that go. Some of y'all aren't addicted to alcohol or drugs, but you are addicted to social media. And you're addicted to likes, and you want more and more likes. See, uh, 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 Mark, who created, what's, I don't even remember his name, created Facebook. See, they're not dumb. They know that, that's cre- that con- as those likes are connected to dopamine in your brain. And every time you get a like, it gives you a rush. And some of y'all are addicted to that rush on social media. Some of y'all aren't addicted to alcoholism, but are not suffering with alcoholism, but you are suffering with workaholism. And you're lying to yourself because you're saying, I'm doing it for my family while your family is left at home and they just want daddy or mama home. And you're building an idol to how hard you can work when you should be home with your kids. And some of us, are addicted to worry. 
I had a friend tell me one time, I was struggling through a decision in my life and I was really, really, really worried about the decision that I was making and I couldn't let the worry go and it was, it was just eating at me. And I talked to a good Christian brother. You know you need some good people in your life that are going to hold you accountable, right? It helps you to walk this out. That's why the power of connect groups, that's what we always say, get in connect groups. You need people to hold you accountable. So I, I call him and I'm saying, hey man, I'm, I'm struggling. He goes, why are you choosing to worship your situation? And I was like, wait, what do you mean by that? He said, you're building an idol out of your situation. This worry, he said, instead of worrying, you should be worshiping. You should be worshiping God. You should put God back in front of whatever you put on that spot as an idol. We need to stop worrying. We got to be obedient, and we got to put that stuff down. Here's the crazy thing. When we're obedient, other people see it, and they become obedient. And they start to get courageous. My father was visiting here two years ago. My father lives out of state. He was visiting here two years ago. First time he came to the church. Didn't know anybody. Knew me and my wife and a couple other people. And he comes to the church and, and he hears Pastor Jamie's message. And he feels like, because, you know, we say at the end of every service, we have prayer team up here to our left, to my left and right. Come up here and get prayer. And he hears that and, and God tells him to go up and get prayer. So he is obedient. He's obedient. He goes up. And gets prayer. And my buddy Greg Henson and his wife were down, down here this week. And they prayed for him. And my dad walked away. He goes to walk away. And he would tell me later that it was an awesome prayer. But, but Greg stopped him. And Greg said, hold on. I believe God gave me something for you. And so my dad turns back around. And he goes back. And Greg says, I believe God put Romans eleven twenty nine 29 on my heart for you. And I don't know why. Because see, Greg didn't know my dad. He said, I believe... God put Romans eleven twenty nine 29 on my heart for you. And Romans eleven twenty nine says the gifts and the calling are irrevocable. And my dad started to cry. Because you see, God had called my dad to preach when he was 16 years old. And he had always ran from the call. And he bounced from different job to different job. And he went through this cycle of blame. He started, he, I remember hearing him blame his parents because they didn't push him. And I remember seeing him, how much he doubted everything. He was so gifted, and he always was doubting everything that he did. And because, the, because he doubted so much, he allowed the enemy to whisper in his ear. He spent 20 years of his life buried inside of a bottle suffering from alcoholism. And he almost lost his family twice, and he almost ruined the relationship with his oldest son multiple times because he was buried in a bottle. But my dad heard that word from Greg. And he knew that God was mindful of him. And he knew that God was paying attention to him. So my dad left and went and enrolled in college. And he went and he, he graduates with his associate's degree in religion this month. And he's going to keep going. He told me he's going to get his, his bachelor's in Christian counseling. And that's, that's not the end of the story, though. See, last year... The same month, 2018, my dad calls me and tells me, he says, he says, son, I've, I was diagnosed with cancer and it's stage four. And I freaked out because my family has not really ever dealt with cancer. That wasn't something that was in my family. So I, I knew people that had it, but nobody in our family. And, and I was going, how did, you know, you do all the questions, how did this happen and what's going on? And it starts making you think about your health. And, and, I, and I'm kind of, I'm super worried and I don't know and, and I don't want to lose my dad. And, and, and but here's the crazy thing, though. My dad is still alive today because he knows God is mindful of him. 
And he knows if God put a plan for him out there, and if he's working towards his degree, then he's going to finish all that. And if God's called him to preach, he's got a, he had a church recently that called him and said, hey, we'd like you to come in and preach. And my dad is working through this diagnosis. See, we don't even call it a disease. We call it the diagnosis. And he's still here. And he's still surviving. And he's still going to school. And I asked him, I said, Dad, what verse are you standing on right now? And he said, I'm standing on the verse in Timothy that says, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And he told me, he goes, Drew, this is an interesting thing. He goes, I can connect to other people that are sick like I'd never connected before. So he's preaching to other people that are sick and helping them and strengthening them. And it all was because he was obedient, came down, received prayer. And Greg was obedient and shared a word that God had put on his heart. See, God is working everything for your good. Every process in your life is for his purpose. Every predicament, every pain, God has a prescription for. And he has called you. And this battle that you're fighting, these battles, they're not yours. They're God's. Stand up with me as I close today. The book of James has a couple of scriptures that talks about mirrors. It says, it talks about the, that God's word is a mirror and that we're supposed to look into what God's word says about us and look into what God is saying and he's telling us and how we're supposed to step into our destiny. We're supposed to use God's word as a mirror, but a lot of times and it says in the scripture, we turn away and we forget what we look like. We forget that we're created in the image of God. And that's what his word is telling us. See, but the devil, the great liar, the father of lies, the imposter, he's got some mirrors too, but his are like funhouse mirrors. And his mirrors distort you. And they confuse you. And they make you look like what you aren't. And he's got mirrors like the blame mirror. He's got mirrors that distort you like the doubt mirror, the obedience mirror, the unforgiveness mirror, the anxiety mirror. All of these things he puts in front of you to make you forget who God has called you to be. And I want to ask you right, right now today, while everybody's heads are up and looking around, because this is family. Now, this is our family. This is family in here. And I just want to be real. Is, is there anybody out there that struggles with doubt, blame, unforgiveness, anxiety? Raise your hand. Y'all look around. We're all in this together. God has called us to be together. He's called us to rely on him and to give it to him. Y'all bow your heads. I want to pray with you. Heavenly Father, you saw these hands that went up all over this room. And you know we need healing. Please heal us from the anxiety, the doubt, the shame, the unforgiveness, the stuff that we struggle with. Help us to trust you. Help us to lean on you. Help us to prepare a statement. When the enemy comes to attack, we walk out those doors and tries to remind us that we haven't given up those battles. Lord, heal us today. Heal us. Make us whole. Help us to overcome these things. Help us to rely on you for everything. Heads still bowed, eyes still closed. I feel like maybe there's somebody in here that's fighting the ultimate battle, and the ultimate battle is surrender. And you just need to surrender to God today. You know you can't do it. You know you don't. You need God. You, you know you need God in your life right now and today. And you just want to surrender your life to God, and you want to say, God, I give it all to you. I'm going to give you that opportunity on the count of three. 
you want to surrender it all to God. You want to make that fresh start with him today and walk out a changed person. One, two, three, raise your hands. I see that hand. Thank you for that hand. I see that hand. Thank you. I see those hands. Bless you. Thank you, Lord, for those hands. I'm going to lead you in a prayer today. Father, you see the hands of people that want to surrender to you. Your word says that if we confess our mouth, confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. That's all it takes, Lord. You see these people that have believed in you today, that have surrendered to you today, that have made that fresh start. I pray right now that you would help them walk out of here changed people, never the same. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Y'all give God a hand clap of praise right now. People saying yes to Jesus all over the house. That's what it's about. Thank you, Jesus.